Yes, hello, it's Jason Louve. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast. This is coming out on Memorial Day 2023. And because it's Memorial Day, we have a big announcement. Yes, we are launching a new course. And this one is with a new teacher that you probably know, Lon Milo Duquette, who I am very, very honored to have joined the Magic.me team. I consider Lon the best teacher of magic and tarot in the world. I like to think I'm pretty good, but Lon is the master and Lon has been teaching magic since 1971. I really, really love Lon. Um, I have a ton of respect for him. And so I'm really excited to announce this. I've been kind of keeping this under wraps for a while now. The course is called The Magic of Tarot. It is now out. You can see it at tarot.magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. This is a tremendous, tremendous course. I've been working on it uh, very heavily for the last two months. Uh, Lon and I have been working on it together, and it's now out. This is a tremendous course. You can take this course if you're completely new to tarot and basically get up to speed right away. You're not only going to learn what tarot is, you're not only going to learn how to read tarot, but you're going to discover that tarot is the ultimate book of magic. It's the ultimate book of initiation. That's why it's called the book of Thoth. Thoth is the Egyptian god of of magic. And what the tarot is, is the core preeminent, most important system of divination uh, and repository of knowledge of Western civilization. I would say the same thing about the I Ching for China, but for Europe, um, it's the tarot. It's one of the most important artifacts of world culture. And of course, it can be used as not only a system of divination, but as a tool for enlightenment. In this course, Lon walks you through all of the inner mechanics of the tarot, the esoteric stuff. He goes deep into the Kabbalah. He goes deep into the Hebrew alphabet. He goes even in into the links of the tarot to, for instance, Enochian. And he talks about the spirits of the tarot. There's actually spirits in each card that he, he teases out and shows you how to access. This is the ultimate course in tarot for both beginners and advanced students. I've been, you know, I've been doing tarot for 25 years, but I learned a whole lot of new stuff just taking this course and working on it. Even though I've taken courses from Lon before, I learned a ton working on this course. This is not hyperbole when I say that Lon Duquette is the world's preeminent master of tarot. I don't think that that's disputable. His book, Understanding Thoth Tarot, that he teaches out of in this course is well-recognized around the world, uh, including in Asia, as the number one book on the subject. Lon is a world treasure, and I'm just I'm just very happy to present this course. So you don't need anything to participate in this course. It helps to bring along a tarot deck, but you don't need it. You can go in completely fresh, knowing nothing about tarot. You can go in knowing something about tarot, knowing something about magic, perhaps, having taken other courses on magic.me, which it syncs with very, very well. Or you can go in as an advanced student with 20, 30 years of experience, and I guarantee you, you're going to break new ground. You're, le- you're going to learn new stuff. In addition to that, Lon actually leads an hour and a half guided meditation, a path working going through all 22 Trump's major arcana. So in addition to learning all of this stuff, you're going to get to experience it with a true master. He's going to guide you through a path working all the way up to the top of the tree of life. That's a phenomenal opportunity. 
also at the end of the course, you're going to get to make your own tarot deck. I know a lot of people who take my courses are artists, uh, and I'm always super excited and happy to see the stuff that they come up with. Um, Lon's going to teach you all the inner mathematics and workings and engineering of the tarot so that not only you're not just going to be learning like correspondences or what the art means, you're going to understand the code behind the tarot, why each card is the way it is. And at the end of the course, you're going to be able to use that, bring it all together to create your own deck, maybe even sell it, you know, like we're going to show you how to sell it as a print on demand deck if you want to do that, if you're if you're entrepreneurially inclined. But that aside, you're going to be able to manifest your own arcana, you know, your own book of initiation. Uh, and we're going to give you all the tools to do that in this course. We're going to give you tons of handouts. We're going to give you everything that you need to really, really dig in and not just understand tarot, but master this subject totally. And ultimately, that means that you're going to have at your command one of the most powerful tools in the world, not for fortune telling, though you can do that with tarot, but for becoming who you are, for unlocking your true will, for aligning with your true destiny. That's what tarot is really about. It's a steering system. It's a GPS. It's a way to align with who you are truly meant to be in this life and you could have no better teacher than Lon on this subject. So just like with all the rest of the classes at magic.me, we have a 100% money back guarantee on this one. We truly believe in our material that much. So you have no risk in taking it specifically. That means if you take the class and before watching your fourth unit, anytime within the first 30 days of investing in the course, if you decide it's not for you, that's fine. Just let us know. We'll refund a hundred percent of your money. Uh, you're not going to want to do that because this course is is phenomenal. But the course is live today. Now it is at tarot.magic.me. Tarot.magic.me. T-A-R-O-T dot M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. This course is completely 100% recorded and polished. It's ready to take now. You don't have to wait for a live date. The course is there. It's Everything is available for you. So go check it out. Sign up. Your future self is already thanking you. All right. I will see you in class. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for being on. Why don't you, you. Uh, you want to just tell us a bit about who you are and your new book? Sure. Um, my name is Reverend Wendy Van Allen. Um, I am, uh, I don't know, I just wrote a book about, uh, that was kind of in my head for a long time. I've been practicing nature spirituality uh, basically since the 80s. So um, it has been kind of my passion. Uh, and I and I wanted to write a book that was going to incorporate like more than just one path of nature spirituality. Um so I myself am a priestess of both Wicca and also Lukumi, or as some, many people know it as Santeria. Um, and I also practice uh, spiritism, which is a form of spiritualism. And over my many years, I realized there's a lot of uh, commonalities in different types of nature spiritualities. And I kind of wanted to look into that. So I interviewed people that also practice that I know that I became, um, you know, in the different communities that I work in, including uh, I've been an employee and a graduate of One Spirit Learning Alliance, which is an interfaith, interspiritual seminary in New York. And I've also worked at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck. 
And I realized, you know, there's a lot of things that we do that are um, unique, but also they're, they're like universal. So that's really what the book is about. It's about how we can like kind of come together as a common type of uh, spiritual practice, a spiritual community that has more in common than we have different. And a lot of times people don't realize that. We're pretty much in a point of human, you know, one of my degrees is in, in anthropology. I have an undergraduate degree in anthropology and I'm actually working on a, a master's degree in um, counseling right now. And so I've been very interested in the human dilemma for a long time. Um, and I think we're at a crossroads and I think a lot of people realize that. And and the crossroads is really like if humanity doesn't wake up to what we're doing uh, with the Western paradigm to the earth and to each other, we're just not going to make it. I mean, we're just what, not what, going to. What are to, we doing with the Western paradigm to the earth and to each other? Uh, I believe that we've come to a place where we're disconnected from nature. You know, and being disconnected from nature, being in a kind of like a paradigm that rewards um, domination, that rewards greed, that rewards people that, you know, a, a, a type of pyramid structure where there's just a lot of people at the top. There are very few people at the top that control the many. And it, that exploits the, the resources of the earth for profit. And I think that these things have been in, kind of baked into the way we live our lives. And some people are really like kind of waking up to the fact that we have to do something different. Because if we don't see the earth as its own value, and if we don't see ourselves as connected to the earth and not just lords over it or, you know, stewards even on the best in the best case scenario, we're really going to do some damage. And we really have to look at the earth from the way the indigenous people all over the planet have in the past and kind of get back to that, which is like, we are part of the earth. Like we can't be without it. You know, there is no planet B right now. So um, that's where it starts. It starts from kind of like examining why I believe that patriarchy has been very damaging to the planet, but where it goes to is more solution focused. And it's about, um, you know, why nature spiritual spirituality can really help us not just to heal ourselves, but to kind of, you know, bring that, that awareness to healing the planet. So what would some worked examples be of that that maybe are going on right now? Some examples of what? Of Jason? solutions. Some solutions. Yeah, I was thinking about that before. So one, I mean, one of the primary things is is the idea that, you know, I, I think one that, that, that crosses over is the idea that we have to, like, be in balance with the earth. We can't just keep, like, exploiting, exploiting, exploiting that. If we don't keep ourselves in some kind of, you know, check with how we use the planet, how we use our resources, how we relate to each other, how our economies are run, we're going to, um, you know, get to a point where we can't sustain life anymore. Well, that, that I understand. I mean, I think that we're, everyone's on the same page about that. But I was asking specific examples of what you think, and I mean worked real-world examples of something that you're pointing to as a solution. Well, I think once people start living in a way that they um, acknowledge nature, they they kind of make a conscious decision to be in rhythm 
with the seasons, let's just say, you know, with, you know, living seasonally, eating local, uh, uh, buying locally, eating locally, learning how to buy their own foods and grow their own food. So I I understand, but I'm asking for specific examples, not I'm trying to tell you some specific examples. I mean, like, do we have names of programs or can you point to specific groups that are doing things like this? Yeah, I think there's a really great group um, that I talk about in my book a lot, um, Earth Spirit in Massachusetts. Okay. Earth Spirits is a group that is a uh, nature-based um, group that is, you, you don't have to just practice one faith tradition. If you are nature-based, earth-based, you're welcome to the community. And they actually, you know, were a group of people, group of pagans that were living in the Boston area, and they were like meeting and doing their holidays and ceremonies. And they realized, you know, if we really want to practice nature tradition, we need to get closer to nature. So a group of them got together and they bought land in Western Massachusetts, and they have over a hundred acres and they have ceremony. And for 40 years, they've been, you know, a large uh, community there that people come to and come to the land and honor the land and work with each other. And then they take that mentality home to their spaces. So not everybody lives in the community, but many do. And then people that are part of the community take the values that they've learned there in the Earth Sphere community's home. So what, what is it that they're doing there um are they growing food or are they, is, is there some type of specific practice that they're doing there outside yes, of spiritual they're, practice? Yes, they're doing practices related to nature spirituality, so, so, you know, the, the calendar of the seasons. And Jason, when I can tell you that I've been practicing for this for over 30 years, when you connect to the calendar of the year in a spiritual way, it kind of infuses everything you do. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, because this is a podcast about you know, spirituality, and we talk about this all the time, but I'm wondering how they, I mean, it's great to talk about values and belief systems, but I'm kind of fishing for how they actually ground that into the material world. Like, are they doing some type of sustainable farming? Is there some actual practice outside of beliefs? Yes, because uh, that's what I'm trying to tell you, is that they they have ceremonies that they do throughout the year that people attend large gatherings. At the large gatherings, there are workshops that people talk about, permaculture, sustainability, okay. how to connect with your land, how to, how to um, you know, get involved with causes that protect the earth. So it's kind of a, a clearinghouse for people to come together and kind of find ways that they can bring their values into their life on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I believe that throughout the pagan community, and I've been to pagan gatherings for the last 30 years and beyond, there are people doing that kind of work that are that are putting the care of the planet, the relationship to the planet and to nature front and foremost in their life, in their values. You know, so another another place that I think is really important, and I'll be appearing there to talk about my book, is at the Parliament of the World Religions. And uh, are you familiar with that at all? Remind me, and for the listeners as well. Yes, the Parliament of the World Religions is a fantastic gathering of like-minded people from all different faiths, and they have it every like two to four years around the around the world. They had it a couple in 2018 in Toronto. Um, In 2016, they had it in Salt Lake City, and this year in August, they'll be hosting it in Chicago. And basically, people who are interested in solutions for the planet and coming together as spiritual people from all different traditions come, and they have, you know, very large gatherings of um, 
conversations, of art exhibits, of um, activists' uh, discussions, and, you know, kind of interfaith discussions about what we can do to address the world's problems. And and they talk about everything from racism, sexism, um, colonialism, how how uh, capitalism is exploiting the planet and what we can do about it, about just social justice. And also there's always a great contingent of people that come for uh, nature from different nature paths. Um, when I was there the last two times, I was very moved by all of the different indigenous people from around the world that came there. And I'm, I mean, they had, there was 10,000 people in Toronto and both in Toronto and Salt Lake city, there was, very large gatherings of indigenous people from around the world that they came with one intention. And it was, if we don't do something now to confront climate change and to really um, begin to listen to what we've been trying to say, you know, our, our, the planet is going to suffer. And so are we, what were some of the most interesting ideas or solutions you heard proposed at this meeting? I mean, 10,000 people, a a ton of people. I mean, what were Mm -hmm. some of the biggest takeaways you got from that? In terms of practical, well, I solutions. think that was the most big. That was the biggest for me personally. Um, like for instance, I I saw I witnessed a uh, ceremony that was that took place. Um, they had a large teepee in Utah that was kind of the gathering place for all of the indigenous people, and um, they had a ceremony for the coming together of the grandmothers, and there was uh, representatives from South America, from South the South Asia. From, from Europe and from North America, from the different indigenous tribes, from all of those places that kind of came together and they, the whole purpose of it was we are, this is the coming together of a prophecy that when all of the people come together, we can make a change to the world. Whose prophecy so was, was this? The, the condor versus the condor and the eagle prophecy. Are you familiar with that? No. One? What is that? There's a prophecy in Native America, in South America, I believe, that says that when the time of the eagle meets the time of the condor is the time that humanity is going to evolve. Is that from a specific um, tribe or time period and or? It is. And I can't remember. I believe it's um, a Mesoamerican people. I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head, but I wrote about it on my blog if anybody wants to read it. It's on soulblossomcenter.com. And the, the prophecy basically says like the eagle represents the, the the northern way or the western way of logic and science and um, the way we've been going, individuality. And the condor represents the collective way, the more maternal way. And so what they were saying was that at this time period, we're coming together, the two different ways of being, both the western and the eastern, the northern and the south, su- southern. And at that at that that gathering with so many people from different faiths, it really felt like it was a a, a momentous occasion. Okay, um, so your book is the newest one, if I'm correct, is um, "Relighting the Cauldron," mm-hmm. right? And so, one of the things that interested me the most about this is this kind of idea of having um, a conversation among nature based practitioners or neo-pagans. And that's something that people have been trying to do for quite a while. Um, and uh, something that I've been involved in for since the early 2000s, at least. Um, and if there's, a, if, if there's a little bit of skepticism in my voice, it's largely because my own frustration 
um, hearing people talking and doing ceremonies and talking about shared values and basically nothing coming out of it. And I'm not saying that that's what's going on here, but that's what, why I'm asking about specific solutions or actions. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the downfalls of uh, neo-paganism as a whole is a lot of symbolic action and talk without grounding it in the material world. Uh, I'm sure you've probably had similar experiences along those lines. So in terms of the book and going forward, I mean, so much has changed in the last 10 years. I mean, we have Extinction Rebellion in the UK. We've had the Dark Mountain Project. Um, We have, um, you know, uh, uh, Greta Thunberg has had a tremendous effect on the world. Um, The peak oil narrative has fallen by the wayside. Uh, There's been a tremendous amount of money put into the resurgence of the right uh, um, and discrediting climate change even, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. the people who are on the other side, shall we say, are extremely motivated, organized, well-funded, and quite active in the material world and are funded by oil companies. Um, so, which is why I'm so interested in practical solutions because, you know, people have been kind of kumbayaing since the 60s about this. And while it makes everyone feel good, and feel like they have a shared commitment. It's like, you know, I don't, you know, meanwhile, people are sitting in, in Shell Oil Company completely oblivious. Oh, I agree with you. We can be as cynical as possible around down this. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. There's a lot of people that don't will really realize that there's a urgency to it, that, that it isn't just about doing ceremony and feeling good about yourself. Absolutely not. I think that committed pagans and committed um, people that practice other spiritual traditions that are grounded in nature realize that we have to take it to another level. And I, and I would have to disagree with you. I mean, I've been in the pagan community for 30 years, actually more now. Um, I see that there's people that are really doing the work. And I think people that are in the environmental activism, um, they come away with a, a nature-based spiritual um, outlook. So it's like one one kind of feeds the other. Um, are there people that, you know, don't even see the connection between the calling the elements and uh, the fact that we have to, like, take care of the planet? <laughs> like, yes, there are. And I talk about that a lot in my book. You know, some other forms of healing that I think are important to talk about, too, in a, in a, in addition to just how vital it is that we have to connect our spiritual practices to this duty to make a difference because you're right. The money is behind the people that have been, you know, kind of sustaining this unsustainable way of life for a long time. You know, it's got to be an uprising from the bottom. It has to be a people taking action because they feel like it from their, their core, from their very core of their values. And that's what I talk about, about about the the cauldron. The cauldron represents that core, that internal like guidance that we have. Um, But one of the things that I work in is I work in mental health. And if you know anything about it, we are in a mental health crisis right now. Sure are. Yeah. And, and a lot of people are, you know, that's another thing that I, I believe the Western paradigm Um, kind of took us to and it wasn't because it was like a horrible thing at first like in the beginning the idea of like individual rights 
is fantastic. Like they, people didn't have that, you know, for the longest time, we were just the subjects of the, the feudal lords, you know? So the rise of people's individual rights had a value, you know, democracy came out of that, all of that. But now we're at the point where people are so trained to be individual that people have lost that sense of collective, that sense of community. Yeah. And so what are we left with? We left with people with dying of, of, of deaths of desperations, addiction, mental sure. illness. So I work in mental, mental health now because I believe that's also, you know, a calling that I personally have. There's ways that we can address it spiritually. Like um, I, I speak a lot about how in um, nature spirituality, one of the commonalities is ancestor worship or veneration. You know, and through that, you know, through that practice, people can really work on healing ancestral patterns. Mental illness and dysfunction comes from ancestral patterns. Let's talk about this is super interesting. Let's I, I really want to dig in on this. So the first thing is, in terms of mental health, the first thing, and I definitely want to talk about the ancestral thing. Uh, that is very fascinating. In terms of mental health, have you seen, um, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what your clinical practice is, but have you seen a big mm -hmm. difference I mean, this is basically a rhetorical question, but have you seen a big difference since COVID? And, and how is, what is your sense of how people have been handling that, handled it at the time, and where people are now? Because this is something that comes up almost every episode on the podcast, because it's mm -hmm. something everyone's going through. Right. So this well, I'm really I'll interested tell you in. that, that, you know, I went, um, I've, I'm just completing my graduate studies now. So I've been interning for, you know, over a year, almost a year now. Um, and I'm seeing the, the ramifications of what COVID has left. It, I, I absolutely agree that uh, it, it increased people's alienation. It increased anxiety, depression. Um, it increased polarization. You know, nobody knows what to believe. People aren't, you know, it's just, um, it's just unfortunate. But I think it's all part of, once again, I think that COVID is actually part of nature kind of like, um, responding to an overflow of humans you know the nature's going to bring it back to to a carrying capacity she can she can handle yeah. and you know we're going to have more pandemics yeah it you seems know, very likely you know but uh, along with covid is is substance abuse i mean people are just you know there's they're they're in search of something that gives them an inner feeling of satisfaction a connection and also like um where people are missing that ecstasy of life, you know, and that's something that once again, with nature, spirituality, that is part of it. Um, most practices have some form of ecstatic union with the divine, whether it's going into a, a, a you know, some kind of a trance through drumming or singing or, you know, serving the Orisha or, um, you know, I've been to, like I said, to many pagan gatherings where people just do, you know, group drumming and all. There's an ecstasy there that happens that's available, that is experiential, that is necessary for the human psyche. Right. And we, you know, so that that's what I mean, I, I, I why I think that. You know, mental health is something that is addressed when people practice these sure. kinds of truth. Yeah, I think when one of the things about ceremony like that is it's not just about connecting with nature. It's also about connecting with the people around you. Exactly. You know, their, their group experiences. And that's something that people miss often when they're just reading about this rather than doing experientially yeah. is how intensely um, – visceral and group oriented it can be and and very and healing transformative. because very transformative particularly in a society that does everything it can to alienate and silo people 
uh, into their digital worlds, uh, which it is making people sick. It was making people sick before COVID. People are already socially isolated before COVID, you know, walking around staring at their phones. So, um, yeah, obviously addiction. I think the phone is one of the. Yeah, the phone's I awful. I hate phones. I hate phones. I think oh everything God. bad it's, comes it's out of them. So, it's so disconnected us. It's, I hate them. So so that's another good example. It's like, yes, the Western technology, Western paradigm gave us technology. Yay, we, you and I can have this conversation. But now what's the downside? And how can we correct yeah. that? And what can we do to disconnect from the Get phone? Get rid of phones. <laughs> I like computers. Yeah. I love technology. We, I just hate phones. Can we go phones. back to the flip phones? Yeah, yeah. You know? Some people are. I hate these things. Um, I was thinking about it the, uh, the other day and it's just like, I was thinking it's like, like 90% of my stress over the last five years has come out of this black box. Exactly. It's just like, they're awful. (laughs) They really are. I mean, and they're bad for you too. Uh, And they track and monitor you everywhere you go. It's just all around. They're, they're, they're truly awful. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about the ancestral thing. And and one, one thing that, that struck me immediately as you said that was, you know, I, I think that so much of, um, you know, it really does strike me that trauma is passed down generation to generation. I mean, a, a, on the nose example, no pun intended, would be, you know, a, a, an abusive cycle where, you know, right. rolls from one generation to the next. And, and the fact, you know, just the act of stopping that cycle can be such a profound, perhaps the most profound spiritual act of just saying, well, that cycle is going to end with me. Um, and that clearly uh, relates to ancestral work. So let's talk about that. And, and maybe if we talk about maybe practical things that people can do in those regards. Because I, I know ancestral work is, I know, big in Afro-Caribbean traditions. But it's not emphasized at all in um, the Western esoteric tradition, for instance. Uh, and I people don't necessarily changed, have though, a... I think well, okay, people well, are say more around. about that then. Say more. Yeah. I do. I agree with you that in in Afro-Caribbean traditions and indigenous traditions and even a lot of the Eastern traditions, it was always there, right? Ancestral tradition. But uh, it wasn't originally there, like especially even when I remember when I first, you know, got into Wicca back in the 80s, like it wasn't there. But I think Mm -hmm. now today people realize the value of ancestral workers. What what changed there? Why Why did that change? Well, number one is... You know, it was once again another casualty of of the Western paradigm because for the longest time people were told, you know, if you you pray for your dead, it's, you know, that's evil. You can invite spirits in, or you're crazy, one or the other. There's nothing there. You know, there was like hmm. this this cutoff from our ancestors. Where you know, if you go to a Latino um, a, a cemetery in a Latino country, you know, like if I go to Puerto Rico to visit my my the, my ancestors, right? There are the, the cemeteries are a place of gathering. People have, you know, most most cemeteries, people still bring flowers. They still visit their ancestors. Whereas here, you know, I was an archaeologist for about 10 years. Hmm. And I dug up uh, cemeteries that people oh, forgot. Wow. You know, I, I helped move thousands of people from a project. Oh, my in, God. In, Tell, yes, tell this story. Exhibition. Tell this story, please. I want to. This sounds super. Yeah, this is a great story. You know, I worked on the Potter's Field uh, project in Secaucus in the nineteen ninety. Oh boy! 19, yeah, and, and please tell people what a Potter's Field is for those who don't know. Yes, a Potter's Field is a field that uh, most people were buried in up until the early part of the twentieth century because most people didn't have money. There wasn't such things as caskets and funerals. Most uh, working people, poor people 
regular people were buried, you know, very unsanctimoniously in a in a, either a pine box or in a shroud. Uh, the poorest people were put in a potter's field, especially in places like New York and uh, urban New Jersey. Where that's still the, there in New York, right? I think there's a potter field off of City Island in New York. I believe you're right. Buried. Yeah, they yeah. put people from COVID there. A whole bunch of people. Oh, really? Yes, that's on dark. City that's, on that's very, I think that's very unfortunate. Island. Yeah, but they found a potter's field um, in Secaucus when they were uh, putting in the hub for uh, the the trains. They were putting in a new hub, and all of a sudden the bulldozers, you know, uncovered a bunch of bones, and the they had to stop it because there's laws against disrupting the dead. And when they did an exam uh, excavation, they realized, holy cow, this thing is huge. And they did looked at the records. Um, there were records there that went back till the pretty much the mid 1800s up until the mid 20th century. So we're talking when I was born, the 20th, you know, in the and 60s. And they just lost the records of they, it? That's they so recently. They actually purposely lost the records. Uh, okay. They okay. All right. Well, okay. The, the weeds grew up. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody forgot about those, those dead people, 5,000 people, Jason. And that's just a, a, an example of like, we, we forget the dead because it's not something that's Westernly done. People don't, you know, once grandma's, dead and gone it's it's people just don't do it yeah i so would argue that sometimes we forget people before they die too in nursing homes oh my God, that's so true it's yeah. sad yeah but um you know so so how does this tie into nature spirituality like i said in in um in indigenous practices and in many other practices it was always there um why it's important is because when you forget who your ancestors are, you forget yourself. You This is a know thyself thing. What is my culture? What does my culture teach me? What, what can I learn from my language? What can I learn? What good, bad, and different? You know, yes, some of my ancestors, they did, you know, terrible things. Some of my ancestors, I have, you know, uh, European ancestors as well. Slavery, um, you know, uh, just genocide, things that were toxic, but many of these people were also really resilient. You know that you know I learned resilience. You know we mm. inherit things from our ancestors, whether we believe in it spiritually or not. Uh, you know our tastes, our looks, our genes, our aptitudes, our skills. What can I learn about my ancestors to preserve, to teach me about myself, and where can we heal that? Just like you were saying, yeah. When there are patterns that are dysfunctional. Yeah. Do you follow you epigenetics know, at all? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's fascinating. Interesting and now they that know way, huh? that trauma that is passed down by in cultures like in the African American culture is is it's really there. Yeah. Like it's it shows up in um, diseases. You know, in in among Jewish Americans because they have the uh, the legacy of the Holocaust. Yeah, I think so, there was a study they did where they, it was like it was like for, like uh, children of Holocaust survivors were basically had as much uh, trauma going on as people who went through it, or almost as much. Uh, which is why I kind of get really frustrated when people say things like, "Well, just get over it." You know, that right. was the past. It's like the past is not gone. The past, the past is, right is here. not gone. Yeah. Great example, like the the people in Canada, right? That the the native people in Canada, many different tribes, kept saying that up until the '60s, again, these poor kids were getting killed on these concentration yeah. camps or yeah. school. That was oh, and the church denied it. Church denied it. Church denied it. And now today, it was literally this year, the church has apologized because those bones showed up again. You know, the bones show up. The ancestors want to be honored. And that's exactly what happened at that potter's field. Thousands huh. and thousands and thousands of people that were forgotten, Eastern European mostly, 
that you know came up. Huh. I mean, it was it, it was pretty fascinating. And why why it's important when we honor them, when we remember them in a ceremonial way, we can actually make a connection with our dead. You know, people that practice nature spirituality, we believe that there is a different you know there is life after death in a different way. We don't see it the same as Christians, but we see it in a way that we can make connections. That when we pray for them, they can help us. They're their closest relatives. Plus. By, like you said, making things conscious, we don't have to carry it into the future. And then it heals the future, too. It heals the descendants. Yeah, uh, tangibly so. Tangibly, tangibly so. So, yeah. so that's all comes. And, and I have a client that I've worked with recently who she started wor- working with her ancestors. Her ancestors are from Poland. And she's had this amazing transformation of, you know, awareness that came to her. It's like what what things she can heal that she doesn't want to pass along to her grandchildren hmm. simply from lighting a candle, putting the pictures of her family and, and going into a deep listening relationship with them when she's, you know, honoring them. That's really so beautiful. I it's, yeah. yeah I, it's I'm, a a, beautiful I'm, a, I'm a believer in that as well. I mean, I think that, you know, it's like, this, there's a reason why we hear it's like, you know, if you can cut someone off from their history, you know, then they're, they don't know yes. who they are anymore. You can control them. Um, In Spanish, they say la lengua es la idioma. Oh. It means that the la- the tongue carries the culture, the okay. language. So think about like, well, you yeah, know, think about people who have their language taken. They have to learn in English. In a way, right? Yeah. Like like uh, right now, there's a resurgence in Ireland for people to to learn Irish, to speak. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. The mm-hmm. young people are teaching the old people. Yeah, I've had Same someone thing. on the podcast who's involved in that, Frankie Gaffney, in preserving their language. They're saving the language, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing with one of the people that I interview for my book in, um, from New Zealand, a Mary uh, um Huey Ormsby, she was very much involved in the in the resurrection and the in the reclamation of the Maori language, the Maori culture, bringing it back and basically sharing it with everyone. And it's a really great story. I think if you get a chance to read about that in my book, you would really enjoy that. Hmm. But reclaiming the culture through the ancestral lines, you know. Yeah, I'm a big believer in it, and also, you know, I'm a believer in magic, and I, I think that. Um, uh, and a practitioner. So I think that, um, doing things that seem that deceptively simple. I mean, like I did something where I like, I started working with, um, runes and then the next day I looked at my 23 me results and I turned out to be related, you know, descended from a tribe of rune worshiping, you know, Odin worshiping, oh, snake cool. worshiping, wow. uh, uh, the, the longbards in, in, uh, in Europe. So it was just like an immediate payoff. And I think that, you know, you said earlier that people have the sense that, um, you know, if you talk to the ancestors or if you talk to your dead, there's something wrong with you. It's evil spirits. It's like, well, this is how people feel about magic in general. We know that's yes. wrong. So, um, but I think it's the opposite. I think that probably people from other cultures look at us as like there's something fundamentally wrong with us because we don't. And um, mm. fundamentally, you know, I think it is like a serious, it's a serious problem and a serious it's a serious spiritual problem to be cut off from your, uh, uh, cut off from your past and your ancestors. And, you know, uh, Christianity gets a lot of flack, but I think deservedly so in this case, because mm-hmm. it puts so much effort into colonization and cutting people off from their roots in Europe and in North America. You know, people always remember North America, but they forget that Christianity also colonized Europe. Exactly. Um, and, yes. and Australia and the rest of the world. So in parts of, parts of Asia, so, and it was the same template. It was the same yeah. template that 
cutting off of people from their language, from their culture, from their religion, you know, teaching them that it's evil. So they internalize it and it becomes a prison of their mind. You know, colonialism is incredibly toxic. Yeah. And then they give people the, uh, the great story that they're going to an eternal torture chamber for all time if they don't do what they're told, which is phenomenal. Which is a, a, a talk about trauma. That's a global trauma right. that people have it's a really global not trauma that, that they, That's brainwashed from the, the youngest age, and that when you wake up from that trance, as you know, Rainy Eisler says it so well, the trance of domination. It's it's amazing what you see. You're like, wow, I, I believed all this. It was all mm. so fear-based and terrifying. And yeah, it's a prison of the mind. Yeah, there was a, I mean, when I went through this kind of Northern tradition thing, I, I was learning more about the history of the Germanic tribes. And there's a really brutal story from that time period of um, Charlemagne and the Franks came in and um, Christianized all of the um, German pagans, and but at that time they were tree worshippers, and they worshipped a tree referred to as the Ermensul, and they basically gathered everyone around and watched them as they cut, to force them to watch as they cut the tree down. It was the center right. of their entire religion. I mean, so you don't get that much more potent of a demonstration or symbol of what that process is. And I think that the beauty of um, whatever you want to call it, neo-paganism, or the revival of um, of uh, ancient traditions is that people are trying to reconnect even because we also know that like there's no such thing as perfect reconstruction it's all neo-paganism but but i feel like it doesn't matter because the people who were doing it were making it up as they went along anyways at the time i Mm -hmm. think as long as you're sincere i mean you're the point is that you're making a connection i do too and you uh, you, when you said that about the tree it, it just gave me such chills because it was such a perfect symbol of this is them and this is their connection to nature. The tree and them were one. You know, it, that's why they, they were the sacred groves. Like when you read the Bible, you hear that, you know, they were ordered, these people, the patriarchal people were ordered to cut down the groves of the goddess and, and, of, and those oh, what's, groves. What's that story? It's, um, oh, I, I, I don't know my Bible perfectly, but there <laughs> is either. a... There is, yeah, exactly. There is a um, a passage in the Old Testament about the sacred groves and that they were to cut them down, and that's that's. Well, they the still connection. do that, you know, in Israel. And they're they constantly do that. cutting now down the olive trees of the Palestinians. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, but, specifically you know, in the in the in in Palestine, they go down and cut everyone's olive trees down. Wow, as part of the colonization, it's, it's very the colonization is definitely one of the things that I think that, and I and I speak about that in my book that we have to recognize and basically, you know, um, understand that there's victims all over. As you said, you know, the template that that destroyed the uh, cultures of North America and South America was the same template that was used in Europe on their own people. As yeah. you said, the the Germanic people had a beautiful tradition. Now, today's neo-pagans, today's people that are practicing, there's a lot of things that are left behind that don't need to be brought forward, like human sacrifice and <laughs> right. you know, those kind of things, obviously. Right, you know? right, right. But, I mean, when you think about, like, the Christian tradition, I mean, the whole central, central fascination is a human sacrifice, right? Yeah. It's like we drink the body and the blood of, of our God. So it's like they, they sublimated it and then well yeah, yes it. I mean in that case it's yes and no because the whole point of of the crucifixion is that it is it ends animal and human sacrifice that it's the final mm-hmm. sacrifice so I've, I've heard that I've heard that argument made many times particularly mm-hmm. from Afro-Caribbean traditions and it's like I kind of like yes and no 
um, mm-hmm. um, because that actually ended animal sacrifice within that tradition. But I think like going back to the point of, um, you know, modern paganism, you know, I think the sign of a, a living, breathing and healthy tradition is that it does, it's living, it reinvents itself, it is creative. People are yes. making it up, so people get hung up on this authenticity thing. And it's yeah, like, I think well, people do get hung up on the authenticity. I see that in, in the Lukumi tradition as well. It's okay. like this purity thing that it, it's, it, what is, I mean, granted, you know, and, I, and I'm very clear in my book that if, especially in the Afro-Caribbean traditions, the Orisha-based traditions, these are living traditions. Yeah, people, very. they want to be part of it. First of all, they should initiate properly. They should find a community. They should find godparents. They should listen to their godparents and they should also make sure to, to honor the path that they've chosen in the way that it exists. And I think that's true for the, all of the indigenous living traditions. We need to at least acknowledge where they come from and don't come in with this idea. Well, I like this, yeah, but I don't can't. like this. Yeah, and, you can't, and you can't make it up out of a book. Yeah. But as yeah. you said, with neo-paganism, that's one of its gifts is that it is a reconstruction. It's okay to say it's a reconstruction. Nowadays, you know, I've been practicing Wicca since the 80s, but I know that, you know, the reality of it, it isn't the oldest tradition in the world. No, we, we have created this because it fits that need for people that right. that and we can have creativity with it and it's a good thing and i know it works i know that for yeah. me that it it is a, a very living and important tradition in my life yeah and i'm a real believer that just because you know i i feel that tradition can be rediscovered by reinventing it and maybe you think that you're making it up but really you're rediscovering and also i'm a big believer that you know the outer form uh, the outer forms may be different, but you may be tapping into the same kind of field intelligence or experience or energy. Uh, or collective unconscious, or, if you sure. follow young, you know, because sure. uh, that's something I've been studying a lot of. Like, we are tapping into this collective unconscious knowledge that's there that's part of all humans' heritage. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. And I think certainly, um, you know, people who are into psychedelics can have very uh, intense experiences in, in that regard. So I, I think that um, I, I don't get hung up on the the... In fact, I'm, I can be quite irritated sometimes by when it gets over-academicized because people, just because what you're saying, I mean, it's like people disconnect from the fact that, you know, magic and paganism are not complicated. They're simple, yeah. they're, they're visceral, they literally yeah. just get together with a bunch of people and work it out, you know, and uh, people can get into head trips, which I don't mm-hmm. think is very productive. Um, but there I, are people that enjoy that, 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 that are sure. very into you know, reading the uh, sagas and being very to the letter. And I, you know, I, oh, that I stuff's actually, great, but yeah, and it's really cool, you know, but um, I agree with you that that's not where we're going to get the juice and the passion and that, which is going to help transform ourselves and transform the planet. It comes more from the experience of that, that ecstatic union that, that I began with. Yeah. I wanted to go back a little bit and ask you, cause you mentioned, you mentioned, Becoming involved in Wicca in the '80s, definitely a very the the me the me era, um, yeah. and I wanted to ask you how you've seen Wicca as a tradition change, or Wicca as a group of traditions, I, I should say, uh, change from then until now, and and kind of like uh, cycles of coming to consciousness it may have gone through, or problems it may have gone through. Thank you. That's a great question. I have seen it transform a lot. 
I, I, I'm kind of taken today by how so many um, in the neo-pagan community, especially a lot of people that call themselves witch, hate Wiccans. It's like this. Really? Like, That's a thing? Like, it is. There's wait, this wait, whole thing about like, oh, they're too fruffy, flu-flu, and, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the Wiccan read is nonsense. And it's I, I can't get over it. Like, I'm like, wow, how did that happen? You know, it's too mainstream, I guess. You know, I don't know. But is this I just, just like new because, new people who are like new Instagram witches or uh, yeah a lot of TikTok witches TikTok Instagram witches. Witches. Okay. like there there's there's a movement towards witchcraft with a little W I want to say that's just that's the craft that's maybe in uh, something that's practiced that's more ceremonial or um, maybe more you know geared to getting what I want you know it's more it's it's stuff like that um, that. Uh, so I, I, I'm kind of taken by that, and I'm not sure what to make of it yet. I just find it's interesting. But yes, when I when I began, um, I was you know a, I went to college at NYU for the, my first two years, and I discovered the magical child and enchantments. And that, did you meet that, Did you meet Herman's of, later? I did. Horrible I remember, Herman. Yeah. I you have any good? Herman. You have any good horrible Herman stories? I wasn't that cl- in the inner circle, but I just enjoyed that store so much, Jason. It was so amazing to go to that store at that time in the 80s. You know, it's like, I mean, when I went to NYU, that was during the AIDS crisis. So it was such a, the whole, you know, the Greenwich Village was completely different then, but it was a very vibrant place. And it was, um, you know, a lot of activism, a lot of, just a lot of energy there. So, um, yes, that's where I discovered Wicca, uh at that time, it was, you know, subversive, you know, and it was a rebellion again. It, like to me, it, 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 I found what I had been looking for my whole life. I grew up as an Episcopalian and I, at the time you at the Episcopal church was still very patriarchal. Women, women were not to be priests. And I always had that calling that I, I felt very connected to it. But then I went, I learned about like the witch burning times. I learned about what the religion did. I learned about colonialism in college and I was like so turned off by it um, that I, and when I discovered Wicca and this focus on the goddess, it was very much at the focus on the goddess and like this, you know, inner feminine, the divine feminine, that it was so healing to me as a Mm. woman, you know, Uh, very much, you know, at that time, the, uh, the British traditions, the Gardnerians, the, the Alexandrians at that time, that was, you know, uh, in the nude, everybody was nude. You know, I was in my twenties. I could be nude. (laughs) I didn't mind it so much as I do now, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was, but that's when I started going to pagan gatherings in my early twenties. And that's when I really discovered like this, this, like you said, that joy, that ecstasy, this, oh my God, all these people are coming together, this freeing feeling, you know, I'm freeing your mind, freeing your body, freeing, you know, there was a lot of, you know, sexual freedom that wasn't experienced, uh, especially, you know, in our, our mainstream culture. And, you know, it was very healing to me, but over time, I kind of got turned off by witch wars. People like <laughs> always talking about, you know, love, love and light and all this piece. But meanwhile, they'd like, you know, want to put whammies on each other. Right? Yeah. And I also got t- t- turned off by people that like did it more as a LARP versus <laughs> like actually believed in this stuff. You yeah. know, I was like, I'm a believer. Like, I'm a vo- if anything, I, I do believe. I believe in magic. I believe in ancient deities. I believe in God, goddess, spirit. You know, I'm a believer, you know. Um, and then I went through a period of my life where I was, uh, you know, a dark night of the soul, I would call it. And, uh, I really had to reexamine, 
you know, what I was doing, you know, I, I basically got sober. I'm just going to say it, you know, I got sober mm-hmm. in about almost 20 years ago now. And I kind of looked at everything. Thank you. And I kind of looked at everything that I was doing and uh, decided, well, maybe I need to make peace with, with Jesus. You know, maybe I, maybe I was wrong. Maybe that was not right for me. So I went back to church for a little while, but I realized I don't believe in any of this stuff anymore, you know, but I do like, you know, and I started looking at more of the Santeria tradition. And I was like this, you know, being on my mother's side, I'm Puerto Rican, it's Latino. It's like, there's something to it that I wanted to really explore. And that's when I started that path. Um, And, you know, over the time that I've in both been in both communities. I've realized that there's going to be people that do that LARPing or using it for power for or ego purposes in both of those places, you know. And I think that that's just the nature of spirituality. It can be misused for the wrong reasons. Um, today, I I see a lot more, like I said, people that, you know, um, in Wicca. I think that it's expanded. I mean, there, people have traditions from different all different ethnicities. You have Irish, you have Irish Wicca, you have British Wicca, you have uh, Italian uh, Strega, you know, there's all, so many different paths that people can follow. And I think it's wonderful, you know, and I do think it's cool that there's different kinds of witchcrafts. So I just, I just, I don't realize, I don't understand the need to, to begin these kind of battles in yeah. communities that should, and my whole book is about like, let's get over these things. Let's right. make peace work. You know, it's like, and it does sound naive, and I realize that, Jason. That oh no, people- it doesn't sound naive. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think we've had very similar experiences. I mean, certainly everything mm-hmm. you're saying is the same thing that I experienced in the occult mm-hmm. and magical community, and in in uh, the '90s and 2000s, and kind of similar uh, passage through it. And yeah, the witch wars is. Uh, <laughs> Some of which I participated in. So, Did you? Yeah. But, I see it on TikTok now. I see them going out. This is a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I think it's part of it, though. I mean, it, it seems to be. It's like when you have spiritual paths that largely are about the individual and individual power. Yes. Of course, people are going to butt heads. Um, or so, feel, it'll, it, it has that two-edged sword. It, it empowers people. These are empowering, self-empowering traditions because you're taking the power out of the hands of a select few and you're claiming it for yourself, which I think is wonderful. But you're right. With people that have unbalanced or unchecked egos, that's what they do. It becomes this, you know, reason to inflate yourself and then get involved in these, you know, this destruction, self-destruction and community destruction. I think think it's one of the, it's a growing stage though. I mean, I think people go through it and you kind of have to go through it to mature out of it. I don't think you quite get to skip it. Hopefully you're not too destructive when you go through that. But, um, and I think that people kind of uh, grinding on each other like that sometimes has positive um, mm. benefits, you know, um, just because they're, people are finding, they're coming to power and then they're finding their strength. Uh, and it is a, there's, it's still a group activity they're engaging in. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Um, I mean, I didn't feel like that. I thought it was awful at the time, but now I have a bit wider of a perspective on it. I think it made me a stronger person. Um, but, um, you know, in the eighties and nineties, um, there was such, uh, an emphasis, I think, in the New Age and occult community on the Christian right being the enemy, uh, because they were. Uh, it was the satanic panic and the moral majority yep. and all of that. Um, and I, and and now, I, that's kind of one of the things I'm curious about. I guess one, one, one thing I'm curious about is, 
Is there as much of an emphasis on the kind of freedom that you were talking about now? I mean, I feel like people are a lot more puritanical now than they were perhaps at that time. Um, Which people? Counterculture people in general, but occult people. You know, I think there was much more of, um, I mean, it was wild. Yeah. I don't know if it's like that. I think I I see where you're going. And I, and I think I tend to agree. I, I just think that's a, that is a unfortunate, um, part of our culture in general is this puritanical that I hate to say it, but everything has to be correct. And if you say the wrong thing or, you know, you're, you're going to be, you know, over, over worried about like, um, appropriating something that isn't yours mm-hmm. yours or it has to only be this way and the truth of the matter is 99% like so many of us are more than one culture we come from more than one place you know and and we can you know we can do this in an intentional way by being respectful sure. i think the number yeah. thing is like i mean yeah i know can, that drives me crazy it's like what we're not supposed yeah. to learn from other cultures exactly like, Ex- why <laughs> when did that happen exactly yeah. and Many of those cultures, if people weren't willing to learn them, it would have died. You know, I've, I've, you know, again, at the Parliament of World Tradition, uh, World Religions, I had heard from a few of the different uh, indigenous speakers, like one from South, uh, from Australia, that was talking about he couldn't find anyone to any, any Aboriginal uh, people from his community to teach. He, so he found a Westerner who was interested in. Now, does that make the person, compl- you know, we're not right because he didn't have the bud? No, he was willing to learn. And yeah. and I think that's really important. It's, I you think know, that's true to- for a lot of traditions, too. It's like yes. they're going to die. And the, the only people that are exactly. interested are, are, you know, Western neo-pagans. And they're just going to die otherwise. Because, right. you know, it's like you go to, um, it's like, you know, it's like when I went, went to India and Nepal, it's like I'm so totally interested in their stuff. And they just, you know, the, all the young kids are just like, yeah, we just want motorcycles and Big Macs, you know, so, um, and I feel that that particularly American people by and large are so sweet and open, uh, particularly spiritual people. And so, yeah, it's a tough culture right now because people are self-censoring, which is the worst type of the worst Mm -hmm. type of censorship. And, and that's yeah, kind of why I was asking. Thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a fear-based thing that's happening. And I, it, you're right, it's, it's, it's not helpful. I don't think it is either. And I think that, you know, we really need to, it, it's all shadow material from the whole, uh, the, the toxicity of colonialism and from racism. It's, okay. it's okay, now we know about this. So now I'm afraid to do anything. And, and I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to, I'm going to con- condemn and shame you. Yeah. Instead of with it myself talk about that i'm i'm that's really interesting i mean it's kind of like it's like the same dominator impulse but now it's in reverse somehow but it's really the same thing it's the same thing it's it's just more scapegoating and more you know just it's basically shame-based it's shame-based it's let's just shame everyone and you know and then no one can have anything because you know we're going to police everything that's out there spirit and and that is is if there's anything that's completely like you know, um, it's a, like a mind virus that has to be changed. I think, I think we need to get back to where, how can we learn from each other? Yeah. How can we share? How yeah. can we, because, because ideally the paradigm is we're humans. We're one humanity that we can learn from each other. I always love the idea. Like, you know, one of the things that we have in our Western culture, especially in America is that melting pot. 
what I grew up with the melting pot, right, Jason? Like, oh, you know, like my mom was told, don't teach them Spanish because it'll confuse them. Whereas I am mad at her for years that my Spanish is not that good because I, you know, she was told, you know, you're here in the United States. You have to learn United, you need to learn American. I know so many people who were second generation, they had to learn, had to learn English, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Forget your culture, forget who you are, forget where you came from, forget everything. That's the melting pot. Become American, right? <laughs> well, what is it? What is it? What is it? What's, what are we left with? We're left with a pretty toxic culture. Whereas the, 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 the more healthy idea is, you know, everybody remembers and honors their culture and shares it. Yeah. Like what a, can I share? Like, like if you, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like a salad or a potluck, you know, like if you go to like some of these more um, ethnic communities in urban areas, that's the way it is. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, you know, community barbecue and everybody's bringing what they bring, you know, and that's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I've always that's, found that's, that's the mentality I think we need. More I agree of. with you. I, and I, I always found whenever I go to, um, I mean, of course I can't read people's minds, so I don't know what they're thinking, but um, I, I on balance when I go to communities like that of other cultures, because I'm legitimately interested in their traditions and their practices, mm-hmm. I've never been met with any, anything except um, uh, welcoming because they're excited that someone's interested in, in what they're doing. It's like, oh, you like what we're doing. You like us. It's like, yeah, exactly. I do. You know, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's one of my friends made a joke. This is maybe 10 years ago now, but we, we were discussing how ironic it is that it's like, it's so often now it's like witches doing the witch hunting. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, all these she said something like, yeah, all these supposed witches that are out canceling people are uh, all they're all reincarnated inquisitors that are trying to work out their karma. They were reincarnated um, as witches after burning them. <laughs> it's like that's I believe that's that. Funny. I believe, that's so interesting. Yeah. And, and that's what's going on. And it's just like they're shutting down what should be blooming and blossoming and sharing. You know, that's why I love that that event, the parliament of world religions. And I think you should go because okay. I think you'd like that. Like I loved that. Is that you the know, same one that Vivekananda presented at in the 19th century? Like is it, has it been, or is this a different? It began else? in the 19th century. Yeah, yes. Think, yeah, did. yeah. And they didn't have it for a long time, but they brought it back and it was just beautiful that way. It was like all these different traditions and there's open-minded, you know, people from all faiths, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, uh, um, there, there were the, the, one of the most beautiful things like the Sheik people, they have something called Langar. And what Langar is, is they feed everybody. You know, you come in, you get okay. your head wrapped and you sit on the floor to be all equal. And they give you a dish of some delicious like lentils and, you know, their, their, uh, cuisine. And it's so beautiful. Food what is so wonderful to bring people together and also share cultural yes. values. It's, it's a, it, you can't cancel exactly. food. Um, we pagans feast. That's one thing that I love. You know, when we have a feast, we feast. You That's know? great. Somebody said that to me once, like, do you have fasts? I'm like, well, you could do a personal fast for like, if you're going on like some kind of journey or something, but really like, no, it's the opposite. We feast. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel that paganism is about enjoying life as it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even in, in, in my other tradition in Afro-Caribbean tradition, like, you know, one of the misunderstood things is, you know, the Matanza when, when you are, you know, butcher the animals in a ceremonial way for somebody making ocha, which is the main ceremony. What people don't realize is there's like priests in that room that they're butchers. They're chopping everything Mm -hmm. up. They're sending it up to the kitchen to be served. You know, so like the blood will feed the orishas and the orishas are born in blood just like us. But the food becomes part of the communal tradition. 
Yeah, that you know? one in particular is something that I feel people are pretty hypocritical about. I mean, it's like people get up in arms about, oh, oh yeah. animal sacrifice, but then it's like it's done respectfully. It's eaten. And then you go to the store and like every time I go to the supermarket, I just see walls of meat that you know is going to get thrown out. Right. Because it's going to get thrown out. It comes from factory Somebody's farms. Somebody's got to make money too. They, you know, they like want to have the illusion that there's a lot, there's abundance. And then they just waste all these, they torture and then waste these lives. It's like, that's the true sickness. But, you know, it's like, I think anyone who's been a, a pagan or a witch or an occultist has a pretty keen sense of shadow projection because people project yes. all their shit on you, you know. So true. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is why we shouldn't, why I love, you know, I always love the anything that brings people together because, you know, I think that people do reenact that trauma by demonizing each other uh, in the community, um, so which is very unfortunate. <laughs> It is unfortunate. And it's really like, that's why we need to do our mental health work, our spiritual health work, our physical health work. We have to do it first on ourselves. We have to begin with being willing to face the shadow and to, to, to embrace it, to realize what's in my shadow. You know, like I had a hard time when I was in ceremony, kind of understanding what shadow was. I was like, Oh, I want to get this. I know this is important. And, um, my, one of the, the teachers said to me, I was like, Okay, so racism is shadow material, right? What is what is the opposite of it? Because if you want to learn what it is the shadow of, you have to look at it. And the opposite is exactly what we've been talking about all day, which is honoring your culture, being proud of your culture, right? Is is this pride in 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 your culture and who you are and everything? And the shadow of mm. it is racism, and it's just like that's what got me. I was like, okay. Now I can understand. And I have one too. All of us do. We sure. all have a shadow side. Shadow, you know, so we have to we have to do our work now. Talk about this more. I mean, I think because shadow work is something that people pay lip service to. You see memes about it on social media all the time. And it's it's one of these things, particularly like with a lot of Jung's concepts, that you hear people talking about a lot, but maybe they don't fully understand and certainly don't have a sense of you know, like people throw out the phrase shadow work, but I don't think necessarily have a sense of what that really means or how to go about it or, or you know, what the goals are there. So talk about this, please. I think it's something that people are it is all something. interested it's in. It's something but. that I'm constantly open to learning more about. I actually just took a workshop uh, recently on shadow and light on what the shadow can teach us and what we can learn and gain from it. And um, I mean, I, I, I want to say that, one of the most important things for us to realize is from the shadow comes all new birth, right? Like in the darkness is where the seeds are planted. So going into that darkness is rich and it's, it's got a lot of power, right? Um, so people fear the shadow. We, like you said, people will demonize others. They will otherize people. They will project all this stuff on them. And what happens is they gain this power, these people that are other five, which is why the people that are doing it feel the need to other then begin like, you know, genocides, holocausts, all these horrible things happen when we when we do that to others. But what when people want to do the shadow work is like a very simple practice is what what irritates me? What gets me activated when I feel overly emotional or something or incredible. And it could be emotional in a negative way or a positive way. Huh, okay. It could be something that really activates me emotionally that I feel either um, fascinates me 
or repels me to a point that it's visceral, that's shadow material. That's the what, mm. what I need to look at and what I need to own my part of. It, it sounds like what you're saying there is maybe you're, and please correct me if I'm mishearing you, um, but it, it suggests to me that when you say shadow, you don't necessarily mean like, quote unquote, dark side. It's more just like what you have like projected outside of yourself and believe is not you. It's like what you cut yourself off from. It is that, okay. but it's also what we're unconscious of. Okay. It's so it could be good or bad or indifferent. It's actually, no, it wouldn't be indifferent because shadow material is potent. So it, it could be both. And that's another thing that people don't understand is shadow can be something that we see in others that we won't allow to be expressed in ourselves. Like if you, let me get, let me think of a good example. Somebody that's always been taught to put others first, to um, put themselves last, to be, you know, quiet, to, sh- to shut down their desires, to shut down who they are, especially like, you know, when it comes to expressing themselves, let's even say sexually, like somebody who's like really out. When they see that in somebody that they have shut that down, they've been taught to completely smush that down into the shadow. When they see somebody doing the opposite, being very, you know, um, putting themselves on a, a pedestal and, and being really fabulous, right? That person will absolutely like make their shadow go off. That will cause them to have this reaction to them. Like what we're seeing right now with the trans community, hmm. you know, being otherized, they yeah. are, they yeah. are absolutely um, that shadow material right now going on. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's like the shadow is so pervasive and and tricky that I feel like we could, I mean, we could just keep talking about this issue. um, Yes. Because it's it's so slippery. Uh, One thing, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, like, I feel like people, you know, on balance, not everyone, particularly in, in like, Santeria and things like this, this is not the case. But on balance, I think people in neo-pagan traditions are pretty liberal. Um, And so there's a Mm -hmm. real tendency to well, the Republicans are the enemy and things like that. And that's mm-hmm. understood. Um, but then you get people who are like portray themselves as like quote unquote light workers and they're otherizing other people in the community. Exactly. It's like, Oh, you're tapping in. It's like the star Wars mentality. You're tapping into dark forces yes. and it gets very, it gets very comic booky. But, and that's, um, the, that's going back to the idea of like what a lot of Wiccans are getting attacked for is they're two light workers now. So it's like people are like, oh, you get, you're not dealing with the dark. And it's like, so maybe that's true for some people. Wait, wait you know? say, what do you mean by that? What, you know, like you, what you just described that people are only love and light, love and light. Everything's, you know, let's just focus on that. Don't, you know, the, like the spiritual bypass, right? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, if you do, don't think that because you're only giving it energy. It's like, yeah, no, I, I have to. That. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. For, for me, exactly. like um, paganism, just as a broad category, I feel is actually a great way through that. I mean, if you just think of paganism, as I do, as the study and worship of nature, um, or I don't, I don't even know if, if worship is a good word, but the, yeah, I mean the, the, the need to more and more understand nature and that doesn't necessarily just mean like the asparagus plants out back. It means this thing that we're in just like right. understanding it. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. Exactly. And if you want to be like hermetic about it, it's like, well, you could say if this is the mind of God, then to understand it more and more is to become closer to that. Um, and it includes 
everything, including horribly dark and, and destructive yes. and, and awful things. And so it's like, you can't, I think that approaching it from a pagan view, a truly pagan viewpoint of just trying to understand what it is, just being curious, like, what is this thing that I'm in rather than falling into the light, dark trap uh, has always exactly. been very healthy, a very healthy way through that for me. You don't see that stuff in nature, you know? And, and we ha- and that's what I also see all in nature traditions is an embrace of both light, dark and everything in between. It, it's understanding that, first of all, we're not the center of the universe. Like a great example is like a hurricane, right? The hurricane, the hurricane can be horrible for humans in the right way. It'll destroy everything. It'll, you know, but what does it do? It like changes everything. You know, it will, you know, like, um, it could bring in something really needed, like getting rid of things that were there. Like, um, even a pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is a horrible thing because a lot of, lot of humans die, but really, you know, when a lot, I mean, this sounds kind of cold, but in a way it's, we need to come back to a point where, where there's not so many of us, we Mm. we've kind of become a weed species, you know, so nature's going to bring it back in balance and she has a light side and she has a dark side, you know? So I think, I think that pagans get that, and I think nature people get that. I think that you know? argument is is what people, not just pagans, but I think people on the left in general get under attacked a lot on by the Christian right. I mean, you even hear yes. everyone's favorite Jordan Peterson going on and on about how, you know, oh, they hate humanity. They want everyone to die, you know, these, these tree huggers. And it's just this bizarre uh, disconnection. Uh, you know, he's a grim church, he's a grim faced church going son of a bitch, but, um, that, that is so obvious. That's just how nature works. And obviously we're going to have tons more pandemics. And everybody's going to die. It's just, it's facing things very clearly. Whereas, you know, I don't know, I, to me to get, to come, especially from that particular, uh, you know, tradition, their entire fantasy is based on everybody's going to die and we're going to get to watch it from our, you know, you know, they're in the lake of fire and I get to enjoy it because I'm, it's horrible. And they, and, and they actually want the end times. They want the world to be consumed in this horrible cataclysm. Like, don't talk to me about like our truth. We're basically just saying that nature has, you know, we have to get back into a balance where we're not, you know, overcoming the resources of the planet, you know, like cancer's, uh, part of our body when it comes, but what happens is it destroys the host. Like, are we going to be a cancer or are we going to be a immune, immune cell? What are we going to do? Here? Right. Well, um, I mean, or you just look at nature and it's like every species has a predator and, or it overruns the environment. And then like deer, for instance, if they, when they don't have a predator, they overrun the environment and then all die of chronic wasting disease, which is probably right. horrible. And, and so. Cause it's uh, out of balance and yeah. that's the thing. And, and I, you know, I, I really, that is the one question that I asked every practitioner that I spoke to is talk to me about balance in your tradition. What does it mean and how does it look? Because balance is really, you know, it isn't like um, that is a big paradigm shift away from the Western tradition, which is going to the light, right? right, the, the, right, right. In, in the nature tradition is bringing it into balance, bringing things back into balance. Yeah. And I think that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I even got to the point somewhat recently where I started thinking about you know, it's like if you look at the European paganism, um, indigenous, uh, but even some of the Eastern traditions, Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and they're pretty similar. I mean, like European yes. paganism is very similar to Hinduism. And I almost began thinking of those as a single 
gr- ideological group. And then on the other hand, you have kind of the monotheistic uh, mm-hmm. religions of which I include scientism. I include communism, atheism. They're all kind of, of, of a piece. Um, and yeah, they're just field. so they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're just not even from the same universe, you know, in terms of belief systems where one is just totally, um, imminent and in touch with things as they are and seeking to be in balance with things as they are and the patterns of life as they are and always have been, including going back to ancestors. And then on the other hand, you've got this, then -hmm. on the other hand, you've got this just, you know, pull up, nuke it from, from orbit. We're all going to transcend and judge everyone from the country club in the sky thing they've got going. It's just no leak of fire. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, there comes a time where you have to be just like, this is silly. And you know, how much, maybe we shouldn't be tolerant perhaps of this type of thinking. And I know that's controversial, but you know, the stakes are pretty high. But I think we're moving away from it. You know, I, I have to say, Jason, that, you know, some people I've, I've spoken to, I've done a few podcasts now and I'm, I'm grateful to be on yours that you can really, you know, as we began, we could get real cynical and like, maybe people are better off dying. Like, I mean, it's just like the human race is like, a dead oh, I don't end. feel that way at all. No, but some people do, you know, and yeah. I don't feel that way either. I have hope, you know, I began my book with um, that point, like you made about Greta Thornburg and mm-hmm. how the youth are, are fired up they're they're making change they they're like done they're like not let yeah. forget about the boomers forget about you old people like let's do something now like there's a there is change happening and i believe that people are waking up but it's a different kind of awakening than what was sold in those traditions that you're talking about it's an awakening to what is yeah. and what our role is and what we can do about it i think there really is a role for uh, maybe even a new expression of this, the of pagan tra- the pagan tradition, um, because people do need one of the people do need a, you know, obviously you don't want to go too far with it, but people do need, um, you know, belief systems do bring people together and and allow mm-hmm. people to function very well. I do think that I, I agree about Greta Thunberg, um, although I think I'm a, I get a little bit wary sometimes when people get generational about it. Because mm-hmm. it's like the reality is it needs everyone from every generation working exactly. on it. And yeah. so it's kind of like young people will be like, oh, well, we don't, we don't want boomers involved in this. And then consequently, you have boomers saying it's like, well, you know, the children are the future and they will fix everything. It's like kind of shuffling it off. Mm-hmm. So it, it requires everyone. I think that, you know, generational thinking is, is kind of a, honestly, a bit of a toxic hangover, hangover from the 50s and 60s. Um, and mm-hmm. 70s and 80s, and it's been perpetuated ever since. And the idea that different generations have different movements and zeitgeist, it's like, I don't think people have the luxury of thinking like that anymore because the reality and the grand scheme of it is like the people who actually care are minuscule compared to the rest of the world. So it's just like it's just like uh, the pagan community where people will find small differences between each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, if there's one theme coming out of this conversation, it's, you know, there are so many of these, as you say, mind viruses or things that are encouraging people to make separations between each other mm-hmm. when really it should mm-hmm. be the other way. Mm-hmm. People should be finding ways to come together. And ceremony oh, is a great way and to do I, And it. I think, you know, just to be, it's really important to acknowledge that. Thank you, boom, boomers, for creating yeah. Earth Day, for beginning it off. Yeah, you, you wouldn't know, be like, anywhere otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I'm a, I'm a Generation X person. So like our generation is kind of an interesting one. We're like, you know, bridging the 
the the young and the old right now. But I agree with you. I think it's really important not to be separate, not to separate. And I think that you're absolutely right when you say that um, these are mind viruses and we all have to be conscious what separates us, what separates us, what separates us. And, and, and that separation can keep us from making the change we have to to do. And there are good people. That's why I keep saying the parliament, because I was so touched by people from all walks of life that go there that like want to be part of the change. They want to do something different. They come and they share. And it's not a place where you're going to find the, my way is the right way people. You're going to find, what can I learn from you? What can we, how can we come together? What can we do for this problem or that problem on the planet? And how we, can we do it together? And they can do it from all, all different kinds of um, avenues, whether it's activism or, you know, sustainability, permaculture or art, or, you know, there's so many different venues that people are using to, um, you know, technology that, that are using to make these changes. And and we need that right now. Like we, we've run out of time, man. We really yeah. have. We, yeah. Yeah, it's too it's too late. Yeah, it's too late to be making playing playing silly games. Um, Right. Yeah, and you know, it's like I've I've, I feel like particularly during COVID, I started to see things more clearly in this regard. Where it's like, you know, these mind viruses, these things that keep us separate, really is pretty simple. I mean, these things only the thing that keeps us separate is being separate. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but I noticed that when I'm on my own is when all these mind viruses and patterns Mm. can thrive and I can start thinking like, oh, so-and-so said this or like that type of thing. But as soon as you get around other people, that all kind of goes away, right? It's like hopefully. 100%. Yeah, that's... um, It's like the devil thrives in, uh, in isolation. Right. When we don't know who the other people are, it's easy to demonize them. But once you get to know your neighbors, once you get to know the people that are next door to you, you can find those commonalities. You can find what brings us together. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. And I mean, even maybe on a deeper level where it's like, you know, all those mental patterns start to go quiet. Mm. You know, inter- mm-hmm. those internal patterns of right. whatever, whatever story you're, it's like, you know, it's like I noticed man, you know, when I'm by myself, I, I tell myself some stories, you know, and it's like, I think, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think I'm thinking through and figuring things out. It's like, no, you're just making all this up. And it's like, I, you know, you can be there sitting by yourself. I'm sure lots of people experience this during COVID telling yourself these grand epic stories about so-and-so yeah. did this and that to you. And then this happened and this might happen and this is going to happen. And none of it's real. You know, right. you cast or that all you these are so and so that oh, you yeah, are. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, in yeah. one of the traditions I practice, that's a really important teaching. It's like, you know, going to the mountaintop and, and living in the woods is not that enlightening as much as you know why because where you really evolve is in relationship with others so yeah. the 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 work of of humanity is where we're really going to you know evolve yeah and this is something that i think the neo-pagan traditions in wicca have always been very very clear and really good on where things like um you know ceremonial magic occult golden dawn chaos magic not so much sometimes but you know like in um in in uh, ceremonial magic or hermeticism or whatever you want to call it, we have the whole idea of crossing the abyss where you kind of have to like, you go on your isolated quest and have to overcome reality by yourself. And it's like, well, the abyss, I think, is just being on your own and isolated. And crossing it probably means coming back to everyone else. Coming back. But but <laughs> but coming back uh, initiate, you know, it's like, it's like the old shaman's quest. 
Um, but I, I think, think that I think that's inhibitory experiences are really important. Absolutely. Too, absolutely. I think we need that. People crave that. Absol- you know, it's absolutely. Uh, and they, it's not just, they crave it. They need it. Um, particularly right. young people who don't get a sense of when they're an adult and when they're a child. So exactly. they, they are adult children into their thirties sometimes, you know? Right. You know, that's why coming of age ceremonies were all part of, you know, ancient traditions. It's really important. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and they're, not just coming of age, but, um, death, you know, it's like, uh, mm-hmm. marriage. It's like, like, um, childbirth, um, tragedy. Right. It's like, like these things were all, exp- uh, it's, it's so crazy to think about because it's like, you study these things in books and it's like, Oh, these ancient cultures like have this understanding and they did it with ritual. And it's like, and now that I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking it's not as much that they celebrated it. It's that they experienced it together. Right. as a group, you know, and if there was some type of yes. ceremony, it was just a recognition of that or a structuring of that outer. But it's like, if you're but going, something happens in the brain when we do that, when we have, when we ceremonialize, yeah, yeah. Well. it makes it real. It structuralizes it. It's healthy. I mean, I'm a huge it helps fan. people through it too, especially yeah. like with grieving and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just imagining it's like, you know, it's when you're coming of age or when, when these hard, you know, because everyone goes has hard, hard, hard passages in their life. But if the, if the community is there with you, I mean, that's the that's the difference. That's everything. Exactly. You know, and people don't have that anymore. Yeah, no, we don't, and that's why we have so many quote unquote throwaway people. We have these, like you know, uh, 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 you know, getting back to like mental illness. You know, people have these. They they may be experiencing something that's come through. It could be a, it could be that they actually are you know have mediumistic um, gifts, but in our culture it turns into like psychosis, and you know they're immediately you know giving a diagnosis. Now imagine if they if you took that same person and you put them in a community that that as you said listens to them, honors them. Maybe somebody who's been through it can can heal help them to ground it. They would have a whole different experience, you yeah. know. It's it's really important that we we uh, see how in so many ways that our our culture has has is leaving people behind. Yeah, it well, it really is um, in in fundamental ways. And this is one of the reasons I like podcasting so much because it's not exactly the same, but it is a community. It's as close as you're going to get yeah. to community activity on on the internet uh, outside of a group Zoom call or something like that. But you know, it's like you and I are talking, but you know, maybe five thousand people or, or more are listening to this, and mm-hmm. and everyone is feels like they're part of the conversation, and it, everyone's listening because they have an overlap of values in some way, so they don't mm-hmm. feel quite as alone. Uh, and that's right. real, you know, just because we're not all in a stadium, our physical bodies aren't all in a stadium together or something. I don't think it's any less real than if it was. Um, no, I agree. The, the podcasting is a is a connection. It's a connection yeah. that we're making with others. You know, and we may not agree a hundred percent with everything. Somebody might not agree everything I'm saying, that's but fine. They, they're listening. They're here. They're they're engaging in it. They might even re- write to you. They might reply. But they've been brought together instead of being alone. And the yeah. aloneness is the toxic thing. You know, I I couldn't agree more. And that's something that everyone um, experienced a lot of recently. So. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's a good place to put a bookmark in it. I mean, but do you have any specific, maybe, I don't want to say prescriptions, but maybe suggestions of, particularly as people come out of COVID and kind of put things back together of um, maybe things to do, or maybe even just if they're interested in getting more involved in ceremony or um, 
group activity, that type of thing? Like, you know, how to begin approaching that? Well, I think that's a great question and a, and a great idea. I think people need to support their local pagan communities or their com- find their tribe, you know, what they're interested in. People are doing all sorts of things. I mean, in, in the Northeast, they had Aloshas United, which was happened all, it started pre-COVID, but people were, you know, different um, Lukumi traditions, uh, traditional people were meeting in, in cities and places to come together and, and sing and, and like share and have community and then there's you know in the pagan community there's pagan gatherings find where they're happening go you know um find people of like-minded like you are because i think that's a really important thing coming together and and learning from each other and sharing and you know running things by especially if you've been isolated and you've been depressed and you've you know felt ice you know like you didn't have anybody you know that's how how we're going to kind of like being more than just ourselves. We come together and we can make a difference. So I, I think those are ways that we could, you know, find out, like, there's a lot of, I know P- PSG is happening this year. Earth Spirit is, they're actually having a, um, their spring uh, gathering, which is a big one. Um, and it, the, the, the registration ends at the end of the month. So definitely, okay. you know, that's in the Northeast, but they're all over, you know, there's definitely things like that happening. Great. Yeah, I mean, one thing that is happening in Chicago in in August, if you're interested in doing definitely. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, I need a good I need an excuse to go to Chicago. I've never been actually. Um, Great. Okay, well, um, that was an excellent podcast. And then how can people find out where can people get your book? And how can they find out more about you? Thank you. Well, my book is available at um, Amazon. And uh, some select Barnes and Nobles, I think you could order it from Barnes and Noble. Um, through Llewellyn Publications, that's my that's my publisher. Uh, my website is www.soulblossomcenter.com, and uh, they can write to me at soulblossomcenter at gmail.com. And I will be at the Parliament, and I do I am having a book signing in Kingston at the Barnes and Noble uh, on May twenty first. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking with me, and and best of luck with the book and and your projects. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate being on your show. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed talking to you as well.